CavsCorner.com. Podcast, CavsCorner.com. Your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is January the 2nd of 2019. Uh, feels very weird. I'm going to miswrite that uh, for a good while. Um, but luckily, a lot of what I do is actually uh, digital, so it, I guess it doesn't really matter. That joke doesn't work anymore. Anyway, um, been a, an eventful couple weeks, so to speak, uh, for for Virginia football. The Cavaliers inked a really nice signing class, and there was a whole Christmas thing, and then there was this whole bowl game where they like beat the crap out of South Carolina. Uh, I got some crow to eat somewhere in here shortly. Uh, Virginia basketball drops 100 uh, in Tony Bennett's 300th win. Um, Kyle Guy goes for 30. ACC play right around the corner. So uh, let me stop yammering and uh, go around and introduce everybody. Up in uh, Fisherville, David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing well, Brad. I mean, and we've been doing this podcast for a while, so anytime we get to do something for a first time, it's exciting. And this may be one of the first podcast ever to discuss Virginia winning a bowl game. So who days on the board at who days on Twitter. That's very good point. Cause we started this before Virginia lost a bowl game. Um, up in Arlington, staff writer, Justin Ferber also on the show. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Uh, just wanted to quickly, uh, give a shout out to the person who will remain nameless because I don't know <laughs> if they want their name out there, uh, who sent me $20 when I told anyone on Twitter that was in the area, in Uptown Charlotte, that the CavsCorner.com podcast crew was in uh, the UVA bar if they wanted to come say hi. This person was not in the area, and they sent me $20 so that we could all drink a beer. And we did that. So I wanted to say thank you. You know who you are. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional um retweet of Ferber saying that somebody should buy us beer, and then they actually did. What's even funnier, though, is that my friend Brenda actually – offered as i told ferber and i offered to to buy us more and i was like look we, we've had like like five of these tower things i don't think we need any more help but thank you very much um yes i wish somebody instead of doing that had tried to convince me to drink less <laughs> yes that would have been a better I don't, move i don't think that the i don't think that you or i were the problem uh in that particular group <laughs> um but but you know what uh, everybody had fun it was an obvious and obviously it was a i mean it was a I mean, it was like a cosmically good scenario, right? Where you get Charlotte, you get the bowl game you want, right? The forces of, of nature align, and you think, oh, you know, it's South Carolina. They're going to have so many people there. They're from the SEC. They're better, blah, blah, blah. And Virginia comes out and, to coin Dave's phrase from a week ago, smokes them. And I, I will eat the crow. I, w- I had no inclination, no, nor did I think – uh, it even potentially likely any of that stuff that Virginia was going to smoke them, and they did. And to to coin Ferber's phrase, bowl games are weird. Um, I, I'm still in a state of um, in a state of like wonderment, bewilderment, something like that. Like I, I mean, I know it happened. I mean, I was there, right? But it just still doesn't seem real that they. they I mean, it was like. For those of us who, who who cover the team who have a message board, there's a little bit different incentive for things to go really well. And, man, it was the best. I mean, like, there was no point in that game where it felt like Virginia was, you know, was um, was pooping the bed. There was no time in that game where I felt like the message board was going to light itself on fire. Uh, it was, professionally speaking, the best of all worlds because the season ends on a win. It was a dominant win. Everybody looked good. It was it was like you could let the message board sort of just like pilot itself for days. 
Um, and you know, look, I'm myopic. I don't care. Like that's a big deal to me. Dave, as you have now had some time removed from Charlotte and we'll get into later why there might've been some downsides for you, uh, in the queen city. Um, I don't think you're ever going to look at that skyline the same ever again. Um, (laughs) but when you think about this, this game, when you think about this experience, is it, is it the perfect sort of, I mean, how, how does it sort of rank? What does it feel real? How, give me some, give me some thoughts several days into this. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels real for sure. Um, the, if I had realized South Carolina, you know, I, I watched the rebroadcast, uh, last night. Um, they made it sound like South Carolina was rolling out a bunch of dudes that didn't have scholarships to play during that game. Um, but you know, Virginia dominated, you know, we talked about it in the podcast last last week, like bowl, you know, bowl games are weird, especially if a team has more motivation than the other. Um, I believe when I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia smoked him. It would just be, it was with the understanding that Virginia would score a few times in South Carolina and be like, yeah, we're not doing the work to get back in this. And that's eventually what happened, but it didn't happen quickly. It was Virginia just pounding them play after play after play. Now, I know South Carolina has some injuries and Debo wasn't playing. Um, but Virginia's not exactly healthy either. Uh, so uh, I'm not – it wasn't a full-strength South Carolina, but it wasn't a full-strength Virginia either. Um, and the way the game won, Virginia dominated the line of scrimmage. And South Carolina, given their recruiting rankings the last few years, should be able to compete with Virginia there regardless of health. Um, and just the way the game played out was great. You know, if, if you think about how the program is kind of – um, tra- you know the trajectory of the program since Bronco got here, and the players that have meant a lot in that in, in that improvement, they all showed out on Saturday. You know, Alamedy had his, uh, I think, you know, arguably his best game ever as a who. Jordan Ellis had a great game. Chris Peace played well. Tim Harris finally put it together and got that pick, and then Juan showed up doing his thing. So all the seniors that kind of were the leadership and bought into Bronco and pulled everyone along. They all showed up and played well, and then you had glimpses from the guys coming back next year with, um, you know, Bryce Perkins playing well, and young offense, you know, new some young guys on the offensive line playing well, young guys on the defense playing well. So it was kind of the perfect storm. Um, you know, it's just kind of weird to me that it was sandwiched with the, the football team holding the team scoreless and the basketball team scoring a hundred. It was a very surreal few days. It it really was. I just want to remind some people some numbers here. All right. This this South Carolina offense was thought to be prolific. I mean, we how much did we talk about in the run up to this game? They passed for 218 yards. They had 261 total yards in this game. Uh, they were two for 13 on third down and two for five on fourth. Um, I mean, look that, that. I mean, I don't want to say Virginia dominated them, but Virginia dominated them, and. That's not to say that, um, you know, at full strength, I mean, but I, I wonder, we all have this inclination, or not inclination, rather, we all have this knee-jerk reaction to, like, try to, to, try to like, modify or, or, or something. Like, there's a, there's a thing in our brain that says, well, they didn't have Debo and they were hurt. Yeah, that's true. And to Dave's point, yeah, Virginia wasn't exactly up to full speed either. They had four defensive linemen for the game. Um, and that included a dude who barely, you know, all, you know, I, I appreciate Dylan Thompson and everything he, he did, but I mean, it wasn't like he was a, you know, a seasoned vet, you know what I mean? He's a guy still basically playing, you know, his first meaningful reps of football, of college football. I mean, he still has not, you know, he, he never really got a chance to be on the field for any, you know, consistent kind of significant time. Um, so it's not like, 
you, you sort of have to deal with all the situations that you've circumstances that you've sort of already been through, right? So I, I don't want to. I, I keep th- doing the same thing Dave just did, where I, in my mind I think, well, you know, there was this and there was that, but ultimately none of that matters. What matters is that they they left him with a donut, um, and that certainly wasn't something I foresaw. Um, Ferber, I want to take you back to. Um, we're not going to talk about the thing that I said because uh, I think it's mean, but uh, it's fourth and two. About three minutes and 40 seconds to go in the first quarter. Virginia's facing a fourth and two at the South Carolina six-yard line. Scoreless game. Um, I want to jog your memory because I I think the game changed there. Um, we can talk about that 14-play, f- uh, 90-yard uh, drive that Virginia had. It took 8-10 off the clock in the second quarter. I mean, basically killed the second quarter for all intents and purposes. But a 13-play, 77-yard drive capped off by a six-yard touchdown pass. To me, the game changed right then. When they decided to go for it, I thought it was the right call, uh, whether it worked or not. Uh, certainly as good when it works. Um, was that play to you as meaningful um, as it is to me? And as you look at this game, is it even hard because it was so, such a dominant effort for them you know, to pick out you know, a, a, a moment where everything shifted? Yeah, I mean, I think that that play was important. And I do think it kind of set the tone for how they wanted to play the game. And Bronco even addressed that after the game. Um, so I think not only the the result of the play was important and that they scored the touchdown, but the decision to go for it kind of set the tone for how they were going to play that game. And, you know, they, we talked about it between the tech game and the bowl game that, you know, one of the areas where they kind of struggled this season to find consistency, you know, one of the few, areas that didn't improve from last year is the red zone performance and they went four for five in the red zone in this game including that touchdown and if you think about how they scored the touchdown and what we said about the red zone play calls you know it's a lot of runs and then it was a lot of like uh throws to the outside 50 50 type balls um not a lot of stuff across the middle of the field that first play uh the first touchdown play you know uh, Zacchaeus kind of gets out in the middle of the field on a slant and, you know, gets behind the referee almost like as a pick there and then just sits back there open, right? So you're trusting Bryce to make a throw across the middle of the field, and he does it. Uh, second touchdown was a run. Third touchdown was a drag across the middle of the field with Zacchaeus where he just came open because the linebacker went with Cowley instead um, and just kind of missed an assignment. But, you know, it was a good play call. And then the third touchdown uh, wasn't necessarily designed to go this way, but, you know, Bryce kind of bought some time and then he makes another, you know, challenging throw into the middle of the field to Zacchaeus for the third or for their third touchdown, you know, combined. So I think that those are the type of throws that you have to trust Bryce to be able to make in the red zone to open things up um, and make things a little bit easier for him, even if it leads to more tip passes or whatever. Um I think that those are the types of plays that you're going to have to call. And I think that aggressive mindset paid off throughout the game. And they kind of just stepped on South Carolina's throats and, and basically made them give up. I mean, I don't know if they gave up completely, but it, it seemed pretty clear that the sideline energy was completely different. And I think that um, fourth and two play call and the you know success of it was a direct pivotal moment in you know winning the game. And, and also the, the drive for the second touchdown, you know, just kind of, breaking their will and grinding them down. It almost reminded me of UVA's uh, game against Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh had that long drive that was extended by the horse collar or whatever it was, late hit out of bounds. Um, That drive kind of broke UVA in that game, and I felt like the second touchdown drive in the Belk Bowl kind of broke South Carolina. 
Yeah, what I I want to point out two numbers. All right, one there was a there was a f- significant amount of running going on this weekend, and none of it was by people from South Carolina. Two hundred and five yards rushing for Virginia to forty three forty three yards rushing for South Carolina. Um, how often do you have not just one but two players who run for more yards than the other team does as a team? Right, Jordan Ellis goes twenty six carries for a, a buck oh six and a touch. Averaging 4.1 yards per carry. Bryce Perkins goes 15 carries, 94 yards. Uh, He loses 13 because of um, negative play, so he comes down to 81 for an average of 5.4. I just thought Virginia's running game was a – you know, we talked about that right before the game, that that Virginia had to control the ball, control the ball. And, man, did the Cavaliers control the ball. Um, 42 minutes (laughs) – it's so it's so it's so filthy. Forty two minutes and thirty five seconds of possession to seventeen twenty five. In the second and third quarters, South Carolina did not have the ball for two and a half minutes total. Two twenty one and two twenty four. That is absurd. I, I mean, I, I think I even said this to you, Ferb, at one point. Like that. So this is what it, it's like when you run the triple option because the other team just never gets the chance to do anything. But a, a big reason why, I mean, was because they were just sustaining drives. I mean, 13 plays, 14 plays, you know, eight plays, eight plays. Their scoring drives were nice, but, man, they just did an incredible job of just of, – of, of not just like it, – it's a, it's a tough thing to do, right, to, to, to keep your foot on the pedal but also do it without being, like, quick about it. And they did that. I thought they, they were masterful at it, and, and they did a nice – Nice job, I think, of mixing up the run of the pass. We we banged on Rob and I for a. I mean, Doctor Bob got a got we we caught some 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 mess from us myself especially for Virginia to to play this well offensively. I thought he called a heck of a game. I thought he had a great plan. I don't know how Alamade Zacchaeus is that open, but whatever it is that they did to make it happen, I, I just think coming at, coming into that game, I never would have thought that Virginia's offense would cook the way that they did. Uh, and certainly, you know, I don't I don't want to. Uh, to shy away from the fact that the defense, you know, really held it down. Um, you know, I, I thought um, it, there were you know, a handful of plays here and there, but South Carolina just never got any rhythm. Um, you could tell it looked like to me that they came out wanting to run the ball, realized that, like, okay, now we got to throw, and then, like, they wanted to become themselves again, and they just, like, weren't sure how to do it. Uh, Dave, when you, you're watching this game unfold, how impressive – to you was the defense and and which side of the ball would get your quote-unquote game ball when you when you think of this game for ages and ages hence will it be a just a total dominant effort will it be you know the offense really carried the defense did you know did enough what, what's your what's your what's your sort of vote there that's a tough question i mean um just because of the zero you know one would think defense but i, I just think the way given where the offense had been the kind of the ups and downs we've seen from them in big games this year, I would lean towards, like, I'm going to remember how the offense played. I'm going to remember that almost 10-minute drive in the second quarter. Because, um, you know, injuries or not, that's an SEC team who knew you were trying to run, you know, go slow. And it's not like Virginia had a couple, you know, 20-yard plays. They had a lot of third downs on that drive. Um, you know, not very many negative plays at all. And they just routinely, you know, just matriculated the ball down the field, man. It was impressive. And I think it not only to take the will of the team, like I think at halftime, their fan base was like, Oh, you know, here we go. Um, And just, 
you know, the red zone efficiency, like Justin was talking about, like, you know, I think, what were they, four for five, I think, for the day? Right. Um, the yeah. one, one miss was the missed field goal. Missed field goal. Um, and, and everything, you know, <laughs> the slant. We saw more slants. We saw everything. Um, just the defense was that was extraordinary. I, I do think we'd be a little we, – we'd cheat the game a little bit. I, I think one of the biggest plays of the game was that first drive by South Carolina – you know, deciding to pass it on fourth and half a yard or whatever it was. Um, you know, and Snowden's big arms kind of getting in Bentley's head and blocking the view of the receiver, causing him to drop it. Like if South Carolina converts that and they score points, it's probably a little bit different game. Um, so the defense certainly had moments. Um, my favorite play of the game, that was probably interception after the Dubois fumble. Like, because, you know, Justin and I talked about it after the game. We were, I was like, okay, we got, you know, we're heading towards 24, but now we're minus one. And <laughs> I don't know what the field position is. You, you got to have two of those three to win consistently. And the defense turned around and, and turned them right over. So, yeah, not not to cop it. I'm going to remember the offense just because it was so, it was so much better than they had been. But that defensive effort, given the fact that essentially they were playing four defensive linemen, um, two of whom you can might as well call freshmen, um, Dylan Thompson might be in his last year of eligibility, but Jordan Redman had more snaps prior, you know, than he did by the time, by the time that game ended. So, yeah, I'm going to lean towards offense. What about you, Ferber? Is this when you look back on this game? Will you remember Virginia's offense, Virginia's defense, the the sort of equal footing of the two sides? How, how will you sort of remember this? Complimentary football, Brad. <laughs> I was setting you up, wasn't I? Yeah, uh, honestly. It, the thing that I'll remember the most is not necessarily either side of the ball. Um, it's the way the seniors went out, right? And that's one of the best things about bowl season is, you know, you see these guys kind of wrap up their careers at their respective schools. And, you know, the the seniors last year, they had some guys that were, you know, great Virginia players that didn't go out in a great way. You know, they lost, I think, what was it, four in a row or whatever, and then got blown out in the bowl game. And I think their, you know, their real coronation was getting to the bowl game and beating Georgia Tech. This team, you know, they they had the setback against Virginia Tech, but they put it behind them and they played a really great game and individually as well. I mean, look at Zacchaeus, MVP of the game. Jordan Ellis, uh, I think he got to 100 yards at the end, um, and he He hit a thousand for the season. He did. Um, Chris Peace had kind of a low key big game. He had that sack at the end of the first half that ended that drive. Um, and he was he was putting pressure on all day, right? Uh, Juan Thornhill, I thought he played one of the best games he's ever played, um, maybe the best. I mean, he had the pick with the return, and then he had a few more pass breakups. He was everywhere, and, and that dude just plays hard. Um, and that's kind of what I'll remember the most from the game is just how they played hard, and they wanted it more than South Carolina did. Um, and, you know, I thought that the seniors really did a great job of setting the tone and, and going out with, you know, a win in their final game. That and then just the the time of possession, just like exerting their will um, and, and kind of crushing South Carolina, basically executing the game plan that they had coming in. Uh, those would be my biggest, you know, takeaways from the game. I think, too, the thing I'm going to remember is it, it I went to both of the tire bowls um, and I remember what that was like. Uh, and I was, I mean, UVA sold its allotment. I was really impressed with the fans who were in attendance. I mean, granted, the Cavaliers gave them plenty of stuff to be excited about, but I, I'll never forget walking down on the field and um, 
you know, st- I was I, I Ferber had walked down before me, so I still had to to post the the, the final stuff, and so I got down. Uh, they were getting ready to do the trophy presentation, and I actually walked in front of the, um, in front of the the podium, uh, in front of the the this quote unquote stage, and I mean just the energy um, coming from the fans. You can just tell the people who came to Charlotte um, that you can just you can just tell like the gratitude that was just sort of coming out of them. Like they were so excited to see this team and their school having this success. And it's a moment I'll I'll never forget, and and it's something quite honestly like it, it wherever this thing goes from here, right? If Virginia you know bounces back and you know it, it's it's a problematic season in 2019, or if they keep moving forward, like that moment is frozen in time because it is the start of something. And I said this beginning of the season. I forget which game. I think it might have been after Miami. You know, this is a a special team. This thing is they're different. Like they're this is important, and like that's exactly what it ended up being. They won eight games. They 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 win a bowl game for the first time in 13 years. Uh, it's meaningful progress, and we talked about that too, right? Like, what is you know? I don't remember the ins and outs of the discussion exactly, but I mean, we, we talked about it last week. Like, what what happens in this game? What does it mean? And a lot of it we we said would come down to how you know. It's not just you know whether you win, but for them to come out and whoop somebody the way they did, right? Put a beat down on on an SEC team, and I don't care how hurt they were. And frankly, I, I don't want to hear any of this nonsense about how like, Oh, it didn't matter to them. Well, that's on them. Like I, I you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and just to echo what you said, I was, and I, I mean, I'm not going to call people out by name, but um, I was outside the South Carolina locker room when they were going in their locker room, you know, after the game, because just the way that their stadium set up, you kind of have there. It's all in one tunnel, but they did not seem pleased. I don't think it was like, oh, well, that was whatever. We got to go to the racetrack a few days ago. This is, you know, just the trip. I, I, they were they were pissed. I mean, they were vocalizing that, right? And they just, you could see it on their faces. So I don't think it was like they just thought, you know, it doesn't matter. I think they just thought they were going to be able to walk in and win and then got, you know, like punched in the mouth. They really did. I mean, they really, really did. And look. Again, bowl games are weird, and sometimes motivation is weird. And Virginia certainly did not put a, a team on the field in Annapolis the way um, the way that I expected them to last year, and they, you know, went the other way this year. Um, I think the thing too is that like the the bookends between the un the unexpected you know blowout of 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 Virginia in Annapolis versus the the unexpected blowout by Virginia in Charlotte, like. I I wonder I wish I could know how many of the fans who were in Charlotte were in Annapolis, right? Who sat through that cold and 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 lived with this that 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 horrible experience, right? And then decided again, you know what? We're gonna do it. Like I I really think that these kids throughout the season showed that they were different and they put it on the field. And you're right, like those you people in media, we can talk about like oh, like you know they didn't care, but. I mean, they were talking about like you're supposed to beat down on the smaller team and all this stuff. And dude, in the in the in the tunnel, they were upset um, and likely and rightfully so. They 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 laid an absolute egg. Um, I just want to the- piggyback on what you said real quick about the atmosphere on the field. Um, I completely agree with what you said. It was weird, and it kind of hit me that you know a lot has been made of lose the losing streak to Tech and all that. And I think that that is relevant very, and it's going to be very relevant here in a few months when the season starts back up again. But 
I think part of what hurts so much about that is it's the end of the season a lot of times, you know, and there's nothing right. there to, to, you know, it's the, it's the biggest game of the year. You lost it and then it's over. Right. And then it's kind of like, now what do we do? It, it's different to me when you go out with a win in a bowl game and I'm not saying it undo, undoes all that, but it was, it almost, and it, I agree with what you said. It was like a weird way for the season to end, I guess, cause it's been so long, but it was, surreal almost just like seeing the players happy you know seeing the coaches happy at the end of a season right uh going into an offseason with a win uh celebrating with a trophy presentation and it almost reminded me of the 2014 acc tournament for uva basketball when they finally won the tournament and um exactly what i was thinking and i was like it kind of the reason it felt the same was because obviously the magnitude is completely different but um in that moment in 2014, I thought like, wow, this is working. Even after all the good stuff that had happened already. Um, I was like, this is actually like, they're here, you know, they're making progress. And that's how I felt on Saturday. And obviously they haven't arrived, but it was like, this is working. Like, you know, they right. went from not being able to do this for years and years to doing it, you know, against a decent team. It wasn't like they, they didn't play, you know, some six and six team from the Mac, no disrespect. Um, you know, they went out and beat an SEC team in a big, you know, NFL stadium and, and they, they look good doing it. And that is something that is progress tangible, right? I mean, it's not just like you, you can point to it and say like, this is something that we did on the recruiting trail and then going forward. I think Dave, you're trying to go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I know we, we kind of all talked about the, the crowds at UVA the last couple of years and how, you know, they've been smaller than we all like, but doesn't matter the weather. There seems to be this core group who always show up, right? Uh, I felt like I saw a lot of the same faces in Charlotte that I saw in Annapolis last year. Um, and, and I do think that core group of fans <laughs> deserves praise for continuing to support the program. And that was one of my favorite parts of seeing how excited we all were, you know, being a part of that excitement at the end of this game. Um, it was and even, you know, even before the game. Yeah. Even before the game, like, you know, Friday night, uh, you know, we were just talking about this with, with my tailgate group earlier today, um, as we were passing around videos from Blackfin on Friday night, like that was a pretty fired, you know, UVA crowds, even the one, even the ones who do travel, the ones who were in Annapolis, mm-hmm. they, they're reserved, right? Blackfin was kind of wild for Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was and packed, and were, and like you could see the people trying to come in, and they couldn't get in. Yeah, and you know, people are you know singing to uh, Thunderstruck and everything else. I mean, it was a good crowd and that energy carried over to the game and it was, even though the stadium wasn't full, I was, I sat in, yeah, in the club level seating. So some of the noise didn't project up to me. So I was very impressed when I watched the the playback of it. It wasn't a huge crowd, you know, I think 48,000 or something. Um, but it was loud on TV and Virginia fans could be heard on TV and that and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I, I was happy, you know, uh, we were talking about it after the game. It is probably the most optimistic I've been at the end of a football season since the first Tire Bowl. Um, you know, th- that game, Virginia came out and beat a higher-ranked West Virginia team pretty badly. Um, I think it was like 48-22 to 22 or something. You know, for, pretty, pretty big win. Um, and you had that quarterback coming back. This is a, We've got our quarterback coming back next year. We didn't have that the last time we won a bowl game. You know, that was Marcus Hagan's last game. Right. So you're breaking someone new. So there's some optimism. And I think Virginia Virginia fans, fifteen years, you know, you know, fifteen years when you when you lose your last game, um, 
it, it's hard to get excited when you're when your last taste in your mouth is that. So it, it's just a nice change. Now, obviously, we still have to get that monkey off our back, that huge gorilla off our back. But this is something nice, and I think it'll help keep the fans excited until the spring. And you couple that with the the best recruiting class Broncos put together. Um, with you know, we're three years in. We've seen some. We've seen stability in the coaching staff. We've seen, you know, we've seen players progress and get better. And I, it's a very exciting time to be a Virginia fan. I mean, we're not winning the national championship next year, um, but we're not a joke anymore. And I think that's a good place to be. And if you yeah, think about I, I just yeah, go. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say if you and one real quick. And if you think about next year, and we'll talk about next year down the road because you you know we got we got basketball and ACC hoops and stuff to get to, but. If you think about what's ahead, like tell me who who's the favorite in the Coastal Division next year, because I'm gonna probably make a pretty strong argument to you that it's gonna be UVA. Um, right now, at least, the Cavaliers seem like the one team that has most of its stuff together, um, especially with Bryce Hall coming back. Uh, what were you gonna say, Ferber? I was just gonna say, like you know, a lot's been made over the last month, not just UVA fans, um, but like do the bowl results matter? The players sitting out the bowl games, do they even matter? You know, it's good to be in one game, but does it, you know, do the results hold up? Who remembers what happens in a bowl? Like, like I think Dave said last week, unless you win a bowl game, nobody really remembers, you know, what happened in some other team's bowl game, right? Um, but I think that this kind of shows that it does matter, right? Like, this feels a lot different to me than last year. <laughs> like, just because obviously the season went a little better, but, you know, if they had if they had won in Annapolis, I'm, I think I would have felt a little better, at least for that day. I mean, I don't think it would have been the exact same feeling. Right. But, you know, I remember last year we were talking about leaving Annapolis, going back to DC, talking about everything that was wrong with the team and everything that they needed to fix. And this year it's like, okay, you know, we're not necessarily pumping sunshine only. I mean, there are things that need to be worked on, but it's nice to be like, look at all the things they're doing. Well, look at all the stuff that you can point to as, as successful and, um, it, it does feel like it, the result of the bowl game matters because now we've, ex- it's been so long since they've won one, you know? Yeah. And think about it like this. And, and it I, doesn't hurt that it was an SEC team. Yes. That, no, that's, yeah, a, that's, in, right. that's important, I think. And it's an SEC team, you know, from an area where, I mean, look, you recruit and like, let's be real. Like you want to, you're going to be recruiting against South Carolina. You're going to be recruiting kids from both of the Carolinas, Georgia, you know, like the that's I'm not saying in terms of like a head to head with South Carolina. I'm just saying like it's a result that when you say you you know, when you remind the kid like, hey, you know, we beat South Carolina twenty eight to nothing in the Belk Bowl last year. Like that'll mean something, right? And it's and it's and it's worthy. I I know and we'll get to the story in a minute. I know Dave didn't exactly wake up uh on Sunday morning to, you know, daylight in America, so to speak, right? Um but Man, Virginia fans woke up Sunday morning, and imagine, I mean, look, Sunday morning, that feeling was incredible, right? Like, knowing where everything has been. Like, think about the last year. Think about a year ago, you just lost the the the, the bowl game, and you got blown out. You were losing your quarterback. You were losing your best, your best player in Kaiser, right? You were losing your best defensive lineman, your best DB. You're the school's all-time leading tackler, right? Uh there were questions everywhere, right? Your, you know, recruiting class was pretty good, but not maybe not great. There were lots of questions, right? Uh, you'd lost so many games down the stretch, and like think about the narrative then 
and how much it's flipped since then, right? Bryce Perkins is a huge part of that. But in general, like, think about how different it is now. Like, Sunday morning, like, when the when that sun finally came up, it, it like, think about where Virginia fans were. Like, a lot can change in a very small amount of time. You can count the days, man. It's it's pretty crazy. All right, let's move on to, to basketball before we, we, we spend an entire podcast and ignore the start of ACC Hoops for the, a top five team because that just seems like a bad business decision on my part. So they, so they score 100, blow out Marshall, 100 to 64. Tony gets his 300th win. Um, Kyle Guy goes 10 for 14 uh, from the field, 7 for 9 from uh, from deep. Uh, also has a, not only a career-high 30, but also a career-high 8 boards, which is ties a, a team high. But clearly we're going to talk about Jay Huff's 14 and 8 in 13 minutes and 7 seconds. Oh, yeah, sorry, two assists, uh, two blocks, um, just one turnover. I, I joke, but I, I do want to have a conversation about Jay Huff. And I don't, I'm not saying I want to have this conversation that lasts 30 minutes, but I do think it's an important sidebar as we, we talk about this team going into ACC play. And here's why. I, I do think that Jay Huff has played well enough now to merit more time. I don't think he's played well enough where if he doesn't play enough that fans should like revolt. But I understand a lot of people think he's a difference maker and that he should get opportunities. He has clearly worked his way into getting those opportunities, and he's and he had a pretty good game. I, I'm not going to take that away from him. How, as you guys look forward, Dave, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Florida State is first on the uh, on the docket, but in terms of just the ACC in general, is this whole thing with Jay Huff? Is it just? A lot of smoke without much fire, or do you think that this is actually something that could be a meaningful storyline for UVA going into league play? Yeah, I think it'll be meaningful just because of how how many people focus on it. Whether whether it absolutely, you know, whether it actually changes a lot of results during the year, I can't say for sure. Like, I still have a hard time. Look, I Jay Huff has a, you know, he has some unique skills you know having a guy that big who can shoot the ball that well and you know even though he's slight of frame he is quick off the floor um and and all this stuff translates well offensively but and i will not argue that you know if the team's in a slump offensively if we get one of those scoring droughts i think you you roll the dice and bring jay out um but you know and he's gotten a little bit better on defense but he is still by far no offense. I, I like the guy. Like I like his potential. You know, he's a sophomore who's seven one, who was what six foot five three or four years ago. Um, you know, he, he's a dude learning his body. He's got two two full years left after this. Um, I, I just have a hard time seeing. You know, if you're in a game, say Florida State. Um, you know, if that's a six point game and you know, your offense is scoring and the defense is playing well, I, I have a hard time seeing Tony trusting Jay enough to say, hey, even though we've got the lead or you know, let, let's bring Jay in for five minutes because Jay has spells where he, he's really bad on defense. Um, and the thing that makes Virginia click is, isn't, you know, it isn't points per, you know, it isn't, um, you know, pace or anything like that. It's efficiency. It's points per possession, both ends of the floor. Um, so I do think he can, there's some teams in the ACC where I think we'll see Jay come. And I, I guarantee you there will be a random night against a team you wouldn't expect it where we're struggling and Jay comes in and makes a couple big shots and there might be a game where he breaks out defensively. Um, and it may cause Tony to have to tweak the defense a little bit in that game to keep Jay in. So I do think it'll be meaningful 
just because of how much focus it is on it. Um, he's still got a lot of work to do, but I am encouraged by the improvement I've seen from him and kind of how the other guys are playing with him offensively. Like it doesn't change the offense totally with him in now, but he's still got to get continue to get better on the defensive end before he's a real, you know, 15 minute a game guy. What do you think, Ferber? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm with, I'm with you guys, you know, throughout the, the first part of the season, I think that we've had a lot of discussions just amongst ourselves about, you know, how people are clamoring for him to play and all that. Um, and, and I understand why, I mean, it's rare to have a guy with his skill set on a team. Right. And I think that's why people want to see him play so much because they know what that kind of potential could unlock for the offense. Um, he's a hard guy to defend. He create matchup problems. And he, like I said, he has a skill set that you don't see very often. You definitely don't have on this team. So, I mean, I don't think it's just random that fans want him to play. But, and and when we've seen him, he can do things that a lot of bigs can't do. He can shoot from the outside. You know, that sort of thing is attractive to fans. And I understand the impulse to have him out there. It's just if if it's five against four on defense, the pack line doesn't work, right? And especially against ACC competition with, with really skilled big guys, it could prove to be a problem. But I think the solution is, I think I think he's earned the right to play at this point, right? I mean, when, we, when he's gotten in, he's been more of a net positive than a net negative for the most part, right? And, I mean, even, what was it, the William & Mary game last week where we were kind of like, you know, he came in, he made a three, and then he gave up like two or three baskets in a row. So that he was almost a net negative in, in that sense, right? But I, th- I think that, you know, when you have a guy like him, if you can find spots for him to come in and, like Dave said, kind of get you out of a slump or, you know, just provide a spark of some kind, I think it's worth taking that chance. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it consistently throughout the play. I think you'll probably see a lot of, you know, coaches' decisions, DNP sort of situations for him like we saw last year. But I think that, you know, he can he can play as a reserve and, and you know, just see how it matches up with other teams and, just like there are games when Jack starts and plays four minutes or whatever, you know, depending on the matchup. And obviously we won't see that as much as we used to, but um, I think that, you know, you could see the opposite of that with Jay where, you know, he doesn't play a lot in some games, but in other games, if the matchups are right, or if, you know, things are going well, maybe you get him in there a little bit more and get him some experience and maybe he provides a spark. Uh, I don't think fans should count on him to be, a starter type player at this point just because of where he is defensively but I think that you know you're seeing Tony lean on him a little bit more than maybe he did in the past and I think that it's a step towards him earning meaningful playing time in the years to come I think the other thing that's important to hold on Dave I think the important thing too is that like it's possible that like I'm, I'm I'm very much the two things can be true at the same time kind of guy right and like it's possible that he should be getting more minutes, but also too that like as we look at this team, that like he is a he's a he's a a piece at the end of the bench, not necessarily a piece that you can sort of rely on. And his his worth is going to be in the matchups when the when the team needs him. Can he be efficient? Can he step up and contribute? Realistically, like you're probably not going to get him 13 minutes a game on the reg, but what you might be able to do is to get him, you know, in certain spots where he, even if, even if his minutes are not necessarily as consistent, his role is. And I do think that his offensive chops are because they are different from any of the other offensive, um, you know, offensive 
skill sets of the forwards. Like he, he that's important. And look, had he had he been healthy uh, against UMBC last year, he would have played. And if he would have played, he would have been an interesting sort of matchup for them, right? Because he's a bigger guy with length who also has some, you know, um, some some athleticism and and can hit shots from the outside. That would have been an interesting sort of um, an interesting sort of counter for for UVA to have if he had been healthy. And so I, I think that we've seen this team get into slumps offensively, and a guy like him, even in a game like that, where granted their their defense wasn't on either. But in a game like that, he could have given him a little juice. And his ability to come off the bench and give him that juice, he's got to be able to do it consistently. And that that his he I think he understands that that's his role. He's got to come in and just play hard, be continuous. You know, he Ferber's right. I mean, you can if you're if you're looking for reasons why Jay Huff should play more, you'll find them. But if also you're watching it to see reasons why Jay Huff shouldn't play more, you'll find those too. And so that's the other part. Like it's true that he he has earned his minutes, but at the same time, he's still. He's not at this point. He's he's not poised to be a piece that's going to define this season. That's going to be you know Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter, Braxton Key. You know I I think Key, for lack of a better description, is the key to where you whether UVA reaches its full potential or not. But realistically, like there's so much conversation around Huff, and it's like he is your. Um, you know, choose your own adventure sort of player, right? It's like it, whatever whatever preconceived notions you have, whether it's about guys like him or Tony Bennett in general or Virginia style or offensive droughts or what have you, you can just apply Jay Huff and, you know, watch it grow. Uh, and I think that's, you know, I think everybody needs to sort of see the, the bigger picture, which is like kind of everybody's right, but also kind of everybody's wrong. Uh, what were you going to say, Dave? Yeah, I was going to say it's – it's tough with Jay because it's so apparent to even the most casual fan, like what he brings to off on the offense, what he's playing well, but it's so hard to see what he, I had this discussion with uh, uh, a, a customer at, at work the other day. Um, it's so hard. If you, if you don't understand the pack line principles on defense, and sometimes it's hard for the casual fan to see that a layup that's made on the backside was actually Jay. Jay's fault on the front side or, or something like that because of the way the defense works. So it's, it's, it's been a frustrating time as someone who sees it, you know, who's a little more than a casual fan. Um, I can see why fans continue to clamor for it because, you know, Jay will make a good play on defense, but it's usually, you know, it's usually helps side blocking the ball or something, but you know, he'll miss a rotation, which isn't apparent to some of the casual fans. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think there's going to be there's going to be a game or two this year where where his ability on the offense will. And, and I do think he's earned the right to to try it a little bit. Um, but it almost like I, I hate to say, it, but almost you almost have to have your your core four scores having a bad night to justify giving up shots to Jay. Like if Kyle Guy's like shooting like he is the other night, and Todd Jerome's playing like he is, and Dre's still coming on, and Braxton Key's starting to understand it his role might be getting to the hole and being more efficient. Like there's only so many balls that go around, you know? Um, so I, and I, I think like you said this, but like his threes are taking away from threes from other three point yeah. shooters. Yeah. You know, if it's a late sh- shot clock three, I'd probably rather have Jay shoot in it than, than Kihei, but Kihei does things Jay can't. So, you know, it's just, and it's, it's like, tough. you're not, people just assume you're taking away from Jack and giving to Jay, but it doesn't always work like that in a blocker mover offense. No, and I, I think Jay's probably better against smaller, you know, smaller lineups like like we saw with Marshall, 
Jay, like Jay against Virginia Tech could be intriguing. Um, so we'll see. There's going to be games, but there's also going to be games where it makes absolutely no sense to play him, you know, other than a minute or two if needed for foul trouble or something like that. And I don't think it takes away from his value. It's just going to frustrate some fans who really like his upside on the offensive end. So we'll, we'll transition a bit from the Jay Huff podcast to Virginia basketball in general. So Cavaliers open up ACC play on Saturday afternoon. They'll get Florida State, which is – God, where's Florida State ranked now? Ten, are they 10? Are they 11? Nine. Nine. All right. Nine. So number nine, Florida State, and then they get two games on the road at BC, at Clemson, before they come back home on January 15th uh, against a top-10 Virginia Tech team. And then four days later, they'll go to Durham and play a top-five Duke team. Um, top one. Well, okay, I was trying to. I was. I was a theme there, but thank you. Um, and then they'll get a little bit of a respite with Wake Forest, but um, out of, out of the gate, you get Florida State top top ten team. You get Conti Forum, where good teams go to die. You get Little John. Um, I have no idea what to make of Clemson, and you get Tech and Duke right there um, together on a Tuesday Saturday combo. Um, if there are any questions, and there are about Virginia's non conference schedule and what it what it prepared them for and all this fun stuff. The next, what, 10 days or so is, or maybe I guess 17 days or so because of the Duke game is, is 17 days. Like, man, some questions are about to get answered. Um, Dave, let me start with you. How do you feel about this team as the Cavaliers go into ACC play? Are you worried, confident, something in between? How do you feel? I mean, I'm not, I'm still not sold on this team as much as I was last year at the same point. But I do think we've started to see them gel a little bit, even though they've had these crazy breaks in the schedule. Um, I almost welcome the team probably welcomes it, despite it being tough competition, just you know, a regular schedule. Um, being able to play more consistently where they're not playing with Russ. But where they are right now with you know Kai playing well and Ty playing great and um, you know, Kihei it seems you know, I think Tony said on his radio show, show tonight that Kihei got his cast off is in a splint now so he's got a little bit more palm available on the left side um and then mamadi's been playing well the last few games so the team is is getting better and i I do think they're starting to figure out their roles i am confident about where they'll be at the end of the season i I do think they're going to take a lump or two at some point i don't know where um uh, florida state's gonna be a tough game but i I like that matchup for virginia uh there's probably gonna be a loss or a I don't want to say two, but there's probably going to be a loss in these first five games. I don't know that it'll be two. Um, and I'm, I'm not to change your topic, but I'm kind of interested to see how how the fans react to that, who who all seem to be clamoring towards let's get ready for March. Like, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I do like the team. I, I don't love them yet, but they I do like them better than I did even two weeks ago when we talked about them. What about you, Ferber? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too worried about the team right now. I think that the my biggest worry is that we just haven't seen them play a good team in a while. Um, the the non-conference schedule didn't turn out to be as robust as probably Tony hoped. Uh, it just, you know, sometimes it just works out that way. VCU, you know, that's a nice win to get, but nothing too special. South Carolina's not good. Marshall was a tournament team last year, but they're not that great this year. Uh, in November, I mean, you beat Wisconsin, but that's, I mean, that's Maryland's probably the last team they played. That's a, you know, bona fide tournament team. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying none of the teams they played in December will get in, but I don't think any of them are locks. 
So, I mean, you're going on a month plus now where you haven't played a good team. And Florida State might turn out to be the best team you've played. Uh, you know, certainly in that range, I think they're 17th in Ken Palm. You know, they're pretty similar to what UVA saw last year, you know, when they went down there and almost lost. So I think it'll be a challenging game. But I think I just want to see how they kind of go through the gauntlet. I think Dave brings up a good point about the schedule. I think that it does provide some normalcy, but I think it's a grind. You know, it's just every game you have to be on and, you know, you're playing in tougher road of environments and more frequently. And, you know, it's, it, there's not a lot of mercy in the ACC. And I think that they're going to find out really quickly if they're as good as they are last year or maybe better or maybe not quite as good. Uh, we, we don't really know because they're beating up on teams that they should beat and, and they deserve credit for doing that. And, they haven't even really taken a scare since the VCU game. So, I mean, I think that everything's worked out, but, you know, we're going to find out really quickly how good this team is. I think one thing for me is that Virginia, I, I don't want to be one of those people who says, well, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. But in some ways, if you think about it, um, you're right. They haven't had a close game. And I'm curious, you, you know, when when things are nip and tuck, you know, if it's if it's Saturday or, or wherever, you know, whether it's in Boston or Clemson or wherever, when things are tight, how will they react? We haven't seen a lot of that. And things have I don't want to say things have come relatively easily, um, but things have kind of come relatively easily. And that can be a different sort of thing. We know on this team that Ty Jerome, I mean, he's he is he is not just a leader. I mean, it's it's his team. Um, I think in your, you know, if you had your druthers, you'd want Key to feel a little bit more included. You'd want uh, DeAndre to seem a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands. You'd want Kyle and, Kyle and Ty to keep continuing to shoot the ball um, the way that they have. You'd want, you know, you'd want Mamadi to continue to come on the way he has. There's plenty of stuff to be excited about. And there's also plenty of legitimate question marks that, that this non-conference schedule wasn't just wasn't going to be able to answer fully. But the reality is, is like we've seen Virginia do this. It didn't matter who they played. They just continue to keep, you know, being exactly who the Cavaliers are. And and I think that as they go forward, I don't expect them to change that up. I, I don't expect them to all of a sudden, you know, not be the team that is comfortable in tight games. They're comfortable when they when they're playing that half court defense. That's just who they are. Um, and I think as I look at the roster, like I said, I think he. He's the difference maker. He's the he's the thing that takes them. God, I almost said the straw that stirs a drink, which is apparently a bad cliche, and I'm not supposed to use it anymore. Um, but he's the thing that can that can really t- take them to that next level. Uh, I still feel very unsettled about this team in terms of like um, consistently can they be can they reach that upper echelon? Can they hit that ceiling with any regularity? That's my question. And I, and I don't think I've seen them against good enough teams to really know, but what I have seen enough of is that like, they're very clear about who they are. They're comfortable with it. Um, and, and I think that they're not going to get rattled. I mean, that Maryland game, like if there was a time for them, I mean, like that was the biggest test that they faced this year. Maryland, Maryland team, I don't care how many games they've won or lost since then. I don't, that's a talented team. It was a hostile, as hostile an environment as you could get, and these dudes were just not phased at all. And I, and I'm not saying they won't, they, they're going to go down to Cameron and do the same thing again. I, I'm not saying they're going to be, you know, in Raleigh later this month and do the same thing again, or they're going to be in Chapel Hill next month and do. I'm just saying, like we've seen something from these from these kids, and they and and a lot of these guys have kind of proven it over time. Um, in terms of this Florida State game, I don't want to get into a, an in depth preview of them, but Dave, what's your general sort of sense? 
uh, about this one. And, and I mean, I know, I know that the prediction business seems pretty, pretty, uh, pretty square on UVA winning this thing. How how do you feel going yeah. into Saturday? I mean, they're they're an interesting matchup. I mean, it's the same same we've seen from Florida State the last few years. A bunch of athletic guys, almost almost positionless basketball. Um, I do think they're pretty good. I mean, they've beaten a couple of decent teams. I think LSU and Purdue, if I remember correctly, they've beaten. Um, Nailed it, Dave. Good job. Beat Florida, I too. I can't remember who they lost to, though, was it? Villanova. Villanova, okay. So, I mean, Villanova's not having a great season, but they're still Villanova. So, I mean, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, like you said, Virginia has struggled. I don't think Virginia's ever come out and dusted these guys, but um, they're interesting. It's It's going to be... Jenny's going to have to shoot the ball from the outside because they're a hard team to drive the ball on. Um, being at home, you know, Virginia should win. Um, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if they lost um, just because I do think Jenny's going to have to make outside shots and sometimes those don't fall. But at home, you got a little more likelihood of that happening. So worrisome level on a scale to 1 to 10, probably a 6. <laughs> but I'm a little more worried about some games a little bit further down the road than, than this one. That's fair. For I'm kind of in a place. I don't want to say, I don't want to say I'm I'm, I'm not worried about it. I, I I just don't think that whatever result happens, I, I don't think it's going to be um, something that sticks with them. Um, just like if they had lost that one down in Tallahassee last year, I wouldn't have felt much differently about that team. Um, a, as you look at this one, and and you'll write the preview for for Friday. But what's your general sort of sense of the Seminoles, and how how, how do you see? How do you see these two teams sort of matching up? Yeah, I'm surprised that Dave didn't say that UVA was going to come out and smoke them. That seems to be the <laughs> prediction du jour these days. Yeah, it would be worth um, last time, right? Yeah, one for one. Um, and Dave would never be, you know, on the optimistic side of things. Um, never. Never. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like Dave said, I mean, athletic team, they have a lot of size in the backcourt. They have guys, a lot of guys that UVA has seen already. Terrence Mann, uh, Kofer, the big guy's name, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but he's good. <laughs> Just take my word for it. You read, but read the words I write in the preview. Uh, you know, they, they, can, they can get hot. I thought that they had a good game plan when UVA went down there last year. You know, they came out and kind of ran the Justin Ferber plan for playing against a good UVA defense, which is run down the court and shoot a bunch of threes. Um, if you don't have elite players that can execute. Uh, but <laughs> I th- think that, you know, that it worked for a little while, and then they didn't make the shots, and it didn't work so well after that. Uh, I think that this game could play out pretty similarly to UVA's ACC opener last year against Boston College, where UVA came in expected to win, and it was a really tight game, and they had to kind of lean on Ty Jerome to have a big game. I don't know if it'll be Ty Jerome, but I think that somebody might have to kind of have a big game on offense to get over the hump in this one. I think it's going to be a competitive game. It'll be good for optics for UVA if they can win at home, especially if they can win by more than you know a few possessions, just considering where Florida State's ranked and, and how UVA's schedule has been to this point. I think that they'll get it done in a close game. Like Dave said, these games rarely get out of hand. I think that UVA will end up winning by about eight or so, and I'd say I'm probably 80% sure that they'll win. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to, to put a pin in it. I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Um, if you are somebody who found the show through the website, um, feel free to give us a review, uh, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Overcast, Podbean, literally wherever it is you can put – a podcast onto 
your own um, personal handheld device or computer or whatever, um, feel free to give us a review. It always helps folks to find us, which helps the site in general. If you're somebody who found the podcast, haven't checked out the site, uh, we got lots of stuff uh, up for you. We're, we're obviously going to preview this game, like I said, on Friday morning, but uh, we got a breakdown of the pro football focus grades coming out of um, the, the Belk Bowl. We got a, um, a lot of video from this past weekend, whether it's Bryce Perkins, whether it's um, Jay Huff, whether it's Mamdi Diakite uh, coming tomorrow. Um, spoiler alert. And uh, I'll have some with Joey Blunt as well. So give us a look at CavsCorner.com. Uh, really would appreciate it. Um, want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always and being on the show. I think this is 291, 290, whatever. It's a bunch of episodes and I'm very, very thankful for these dudes to, uh, to rock with me the way that they always do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.